Hey, you guys ever heard of a guy named Samson? You guys are all probably familiar with the story of Samson. You know, uh, an angel of the Lord came to Samson's mom and uh, told her that her her son was going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, that he was going to be uh, used for great purposes to deliver Israel from its oppressors. So if you're uh, Samson's mom, you're probably thinking, wow, my kid's going to be awesome. Like, this is incredible. But also terrified in the same sense of, like, I have to parent this kid uh, in this situation. But we know some of the, the, the things of his story where uh, Samson grows up. He has to, to abide by the Nazarite vow. He can't cut his hair. He can't eat certain things. There's, you know, his life has to look a certain way. But we all know Samson because of his strength. He was a really strong dude. Uh, and it was because the, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Just a couple of the stories in Judges 16 and 17, you see that uh, Samson uh, has 30 people that are against him, that want to, to kill him. So he just goes out and he kills those 30 people. He says, no, nah, I'm done with you. Or there's the story where 3,000 men come to Samson and ask him, hey, can we just take you away? And he says, okay. And he just walks, hand behind his back, and then he sees a jawbone of a donkey. And he said, huh, I got an idea. And he just kills 1,000 people. I mean, like, that's pretty intense. Like, this guy is super strong. He, he led Israel for about 20 years. Uh, and he was, had many successes, obviously, with the, the jawbone of a donkey and, and conquering the Philistines and other countries and nations. But the problem is, Samson got distracted. Samson had this huge task, this huge mission, mission to deliver Israel. And he did that for a little bit, but there was this woman named Delilah. This prostitute that he went and he stayed with for a night. And there were other Philistine men that knew he was with, uh, with Delilah. And he, they wanted to try to find out what made Samson so strong. Because they wanted to try to get that strength away so they could defeat Samson. Because he kept defeating them. So they got Delilah to, to begin to ask him questions. But instead of being on mission, Samson entertained Delilah. Entertained the questions. And obviously it goes back and forth telling him the wrong thing but ultimately tells her the strength comes from his hair. And the Spirit of the Lord leaves Samson, and obviously they capture him, and what do they do? They gouge his eyeballs out. Like nasty, they gouge his eyeballs out. This was the story of a man that was on mission for the Lord. But he got distracted. I'm afraid that too many of us are like Samson. We live our lives distracted with no real purpose day to day. We wake up, we go to school, we go to our activities, we go to sports, we go to band, and God is nowhere near on the forefront of our mind. We are not living on mission, but we are just simply going day by day, just getting by. Tonight we open a series called, Called, Christ's Mission to the Marginalized. Tonight we will see that Jesus lived on mission and that informed everything He did. Every action, every word that he did. And that mission sent him to the marginalized in society with the good news of himself. My prayer for you tonight and through the series is to see that God has placed a mission for you. He has placed a mission on you and that mission is to proclaim the gospel with both words and with action. Let's pray as we jump into Luke chapter 4. God, we thank you. Uh, for today, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I pray that this, uh, this word tonight would encourage and convict us, uh, that we would be more faithful to you, that we would look to Jesus. 
look to his example of him living on mission and his heart for the marginalized in society. And Lord, I pray that you would grow our heart um, to be on mission every single day. Lord, we thank you for your word that's living and active. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, we have them up here on stage. We have a pen up here for your sermon notes as well, if you would like to take some notes that are in your seats. So in this passage tonight, we're going to see what Jesus' mission was. And we're going to see three different attributes of Jesus' mission. At the end, we'll see what our mission is in light of what Christ's mission was. So the first thing we learn about Jesus' mission is that his mission is revealed in his word. That Jesus' mission is revealed in his word. So verse 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. We all know what happened before this passage of him beginning his ministry. Right before this, he was just in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, right? Satan was trying to get him to do all these things, and Jesus refuted with Scripture. And he's returning, it says, in the power of the Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And he was proclaiming, he was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone was glorifying him and and seeing that he is the Messiah. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he came to his hometown, and the custom was to meet in the synagogue and hear the Word of God being preached, the Word of God being read. And with the reading of Scripture, they would have some comments about it. It would be like a a sermon, somewhat of what we are doing tonight. So they'd read the Scripture, and then he would have some comments on it. So this is typical deal. People came to the synagogue all the time. And we see in verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So if you, if you look in your Bible, you see that verses 18 and 19 are a little bit different. They're formatted a little bit different in your text. That, that's because it is a quotation of an Old Testament passage. So to understand what's going on in this passage, we need to understand what verses in 18 and 19, where do they come from, and why is Jesus quoting them? So they come from Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And what is happening here, it's describing this event called the year of Jubilee, which is described all the way back in Leviticus 25. So what's cool is, obviously you see Scripture building on each other, pointing back, it's cross-referencing, it's really cool. But the year of Jubilee is described in Leviticus 25. And this is what the year of Jubilee was. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year for the nation when the land was allowed to rest that people would rest the fields would be rested and every 50th year which is seven sabbaticals seven times seven I guess plus one was set apart as a special year when there was balancing of the economic system so what happened in that 50th year after those seven sabbaticals 
the balancing of the economic system looked like slaves being set free and returned to their families, property that was sold reverted to the original owner, and this is the, the best part, that all debts were canceled. All debts were canceled. So if you had this huge debt to somebody, it was canceled in that year of jubilee. So it was a year of really of just jubilee. Everyone was excited. It was awesome. It was great for the people. So the question is, why is Jesus quoting this passage in Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of his ministry? This is important because Jesus is quoting this passage because Isaiah 48, 58 through 61 is talking about this year of Jubilee, but this coming Messiah, this coming salvation that will come to the people of Israel. So Jesus is quoting this passage, and what he says in verse 20 says, 21, he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what Jesus is doing, he's interpreting the scriptures, and he's now saying, I am the prophet that is now bringing you the, the year of Jubilee right now, but not am I only the prophet, but I'm also the deliverer. I'm bringing the salvation. I'm not only bringing about the news, but I'm bringing about the actual salvation. And this is important because this is the beginning of his ministry. It's solidifying, saying, this is who I am. This is my identity. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah that has come to save, and it's for today. So this is important, but we see that it's, to proclaim the good news to the, poor, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is bringing this idea of salvation to everyone's mind. And we see that the blind and the oppressed, when, in these terms, what they're meaning in the original back in Isaiah, is this salvific uh, context where he's bringing the salvation. He is the fulfillment of this salvation. And he's bringing this today. So we see that Jesus' mission is revealed in His Word back in the Old Testament, saying that you were to proclaim the good news, to, to, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is Jesus' mission, and His Word reveals that. He knew what it was, and He was sticking to it, even until death. It is to be the Savior that brings salvation to the world. It is to go to the lost and proclaim the good news. The second aspect of Jesus's mission that we can learn from this text is that his mission is restoration focused. Jesus's mission is restoration focused. And we're going to stick in those first those two verses 18 and 19 with this. But I want to tell you this story first. There's a story, a true story about years ago during the Korean War. This family had their son go off and serve in the Korean War. Uh, and he had been out there for about 10 months. They had no communication with him. He was out fighting. They had no communication, which is uh, it's just, I can't even imagine with Noble being a five-month-old going 10 months without speaking to him. That'd be insane. But what happens is the war ends, and all of a sudden the mom gets a call from the son. And she's just so excited. Oh, I'm so excited to hear from you. Come home now. She's ready for her boy to come. And he said, I will, but first... I have a request. She said, okay, what is it? She goes, and he said, I have a friend that's really banged up. He was in the war with me. He was really banged up. He got some injuries. He now only has one arm, one leg, and one eye. And my request is I would like for him to come and stay with us. Right? We can take care of him. And the mother said, that's great. We'll, we'll have him stay here for about a week, and, and we'll see how everything goes. And he goes, no, 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 Mom. I don't think you heard me. I want him to stay permanently. 
he's really banged up. He only has one arm, one leg, and one eye. Is it? We, I, I would love for him to be able to stay permanently with us. And at this point, the mom began to object. And she said, son, you don't know how difficult this is going to be. That's going to be a serious time commitment to care for somebody that only has one arm, one leg, and one eye. And honestly, son, it's going to be a real drag on everybody having to take care of that person. Son, this is too much for us. But please, you, please come home. And at that moment, the mom heard a click on the other line. The son had hung up. Well, tomorrow morning came and the afternoon came. And at the next day, an army personnel, an army captain came knocking on the parents' door. And uh, the mom answered and she said, how, how can I help you? And he goes, your son committed suicide last night. Uh, we need you to come with us and fly with us so that you can identify his body at the morgue. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're scared, they're, they're crying, they're sad, and they go and fly and they identify and say, yes, that is my son. But the thing is, when they identified their son, he had one arm, one leg, and one eye. The son made up the story about a friend to see how his parents' reaction would be of him coming home, if they would love him, and care for him, or if he would be a burden to them. My fear is that too many of us look at people like this. Like they're too far gone. Like they, they, they're untouchables. That, oh, if I reach out to them, that would be way too much work. It would be way too hard on my, my, my reputation. That they're not worth my time. It's going to be a real drag if I, they have to come with us. It's going to be a real drag if I have to reach out to that person. We look at people like this, and there are people all across our society, and even across this student ministry room right now, that feel marginalized. That we marginalize with our words and with our actions. The reason we're having this series is because the Gospel of Luke shows that Jesus goes to the marginalized. He goes to the edge of society and reaches those who weren't reached by the people. He went to lepers. He went to widows. He went to women that were bleeding in the road. He went to the people that did not get a second chance from society. And we see here in verse 18, he's anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His job was to proclaim salvation, the freedom that is found in Him, and it's to anyone who accepts Him. It's not just the elite. It's not just the popular. It's not the people with the most followers on social media or the most friends in church. His offer is free to everybody. And He wanted to get it to everybody. It's not for the proud. It's for the humble. A common... Commentary says, while Isaiah 61 foresees a salvific fulfillment, it also is certain that this text cannot mean less than the gospel going to the poor people, the imprisoned, and the oppressed. We cannot just proclaim the gospel to someone. We can, we can talk about it, we invite them to church, but our actions never match. We never actually have a legitimate conversation with them about who Jesus is and what He's done in your life and how you interact with them on a daily basis. We cannot just proclaim something and our lives look completely different. But too many times we marginalize people. And do you think they see Jesus in us? Unfortunately, they don't. I mean, what do you think? Who do you think started hospitals? Let's think of just the two big ones right here 
by the church. Mercy. What is their logo? It's a cross. What about Integris Baptist? Hospitals were originally founded by churches, by Christians, to help, to help reach the poor, to help the sick, to reach them not only with their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. That we aren't to be, oh, well, we, we said something to them once and we invited them to church and we are just going to go on. And we never talk to them. We walk by them in the lunchroom. They continue to sit by themselves, but we never say anything. We never reach out to them. And we continue to marginalize people, maybe not with our words, but we most definitely do with our actions. And that is the opposite of what Jesus is doing. Jesus' mission, His mission was restoration-focused. To restore something, it's got to be out. It's got to be marginalized on the, the outs of society. He went to those people to restore them to himself. He went to the lepers. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the people that no one gave a second thought to. He went to the people that would be hard for him to love. For people to love. Yet we always try to find the easy way out. He didn't come to puff up the proud, but give, he came to give grace to the humble. Another commentary says this, Our task is not to form a holy huddle or celebrate sublime things about Christ. Our task is not to swell our heads with theology and Bible knowledge. Our task, our task is, yes, to feed on Christ, but also to find beggars and tell them where there is bread. We must find fellow lepers and tell them where there is cleansing. Like people glad to have found the most, what they most desperately needed, our task is to go to our neighbors and tell them that there is a Savior that supplies all of their needs. What does this tell us? What is this part of Jesus' mission going to the marginalized, going to restore people? What does this tell us? It tells us that He cares about what your, where your heart is. He doesn't care about what you look like, what you smell like, what your social media following. He doesn't care about any of those things. He cares if your heart is His. Is it open to Him? And too many times, ours aren't. But His desire for you is for you to accept Him, but to join Him on the mission to reach the marginalized in society. Not just the, whatever group is popular at your school, not to just be comfortable in those groups, but that you would go out and share with the people that no one's talking to. That's also here in the church in the student ministry. This is a place to belong, not to be marginalized. The third and final aspect of Jesus' mission is that Jesus' mission is really countercultural. It's really countercultural. Verses 21 through 30. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Again, it's normal for uh, the people who are reading the scripture to have some comments, to have a, a little sermon about what the text meant. But Jesus shares a brief but powerful statement here in verse 21. And even when we break it down, it is incredibly relevant to where they are at that moment. He said, Today, which meant right now. He's reading the passage from Isaiah, so he's not saying, hey, back in Isaiah's day, Isaiah's day, this meant this. He goes, no, no, today, today, this scripture. So he's talking about this passage of the year of Jubilee, meaning that salvation is coming. He's talking about this passage. So today, 
this passage has been fulfilled. So back in the day when Isaiah made this prophecy, when we were talking about the salvation to come, right now this scripture is being fulfilled by me, by Jesus. Like that, that's bold words to say, the famous Isaiah prophet to say, I'm fulfilling that. I'm the one that is going to be the Messiah that is bringing salvation to all. And again, he says, in your hearing. So right now, amidst you, I am the one that is bringing salvation. I am bringing the fulfillment of this passage. Verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So the people say, oh, they enjoyed his words, but they completely missed Christ. They completely missed the point of what he said. And far too often, that's us in church. We come on Sundays and Wednesdays. We may even come to a D group, but it's just another check mark that we're doing. It's another thing that we're doing at the church, another activity. Yet we miss Jesus every single time. We come on Wednesday nights. We hear the word of God preach, yet it doesn't impact our life. We don't take it out of these walls. We completely miss it. Just like the people in this synagogue, we are missing the point. You come to Wednesday nights, you come to church to be equipped, to be trained up, to go out and make disciples so that your friends know Jesus, that your family members know Jesus, that your classmates know Jesus. We can't miss this. His mission is clear. He's asking us to join Him on that mission. Verses 23 and 24. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. In verse 24 he says, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So this shows that Jesus is anticipating what they're going to say. He knows what they're going to say, so he's saying it to them before they say it back to him. And it's essentially... They're saying, hey, Jesus, prove yourself. You say you're fulfilling this passage. Prove yourself. But don't prove it to the marginalized in society like you said you were going to do. Prove it to us right now. Us privileged people in the synagogue. I mean, this is a very arrogant statement coming from them. It's very self-centered. It's very prideful. And it shows unbelief in who Jesus proclaims to be. It's entitlement. Verses 25 through 27. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So, where does this fit in this passage? Why is, why is Jesus bringing up Elijah and Elisha and lepers and widows? Like, I didn't see any of that coming in the previous text. Like, why is he bringing this up? Well, he's bringing this up for a reason. During the time of the prophet Elijah and Elisha, Israel was, again, in another low point in its history. They were under judgment. A famine was in the land. And they were being disobedient and unfaithful to the Lord. And so he's explaining during this time that these prophets went to these uh, widows in Sidon and Syria. What's so important about these two places? They were Gentile nations. 
So Israel, right, God's chosen people, were being disobedient. They were being unfaithful. So what does God do? He brings his healing, his salvation to people outside of Israel, outside of the chosen people. That it says there were lepers and widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, but the only ones that were cared for were the ones that were Gentiles. What is the message Jesus is saying here? Jesus was showing that God's salvation passed over there because of their disobedience. Obviously, we know that the, the gospel, the salvation is offered to all. All who accept Him as Lord and Savior. We know that, obviously, that it was the way that the Gentiles were included through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and His mission, obviously, in the Gospel of Luke. But the Gentiles were grafted in, and what Jesus is aiming at is that there are many that claim to know Jesus. There may be some lifers here that have been at Quail Springs from when they were a baby. You may have been in a church since you were a baby. And you act like you know Jesus. You come and your attendance shows that you know Jesus, but your life tells otherwise. You come and you just hang out. You don't actually take anything serious. You don't take anything and go apply it. You just come and you're like a disobedient Israel. The problem with Israel, and quite frankly some of us, is that we, don't, is that we think we know Jesus, yet our lives look completely different. We are self-consumed and nowhere, nowhere near living on mission. What Jesus is saying is counter-cultural. His mission was not to please the rich and the popular people. His mission is to go to those people who will receive Him as Lord and Savior, to the people that are hungry for Him. He's not just patting anyone's ego. He's not going to the synagogue. He's not going to the Pharisees and say, hey, you guys are doing a great job. No, He's saying, You need me. You need a Savior. Yet you continue to live in your legalistic ways. Verses 28-30. through When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which there was a town built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went Away. So what was, what was their response in the synagogue? They were filled with anger. They're like, you're not going to show us special treatment? We're the ones that come to the synagogue every single day. You're not going to prove it to us? You're not going to give us special treatment? So they were filled with wrath. They ran Jesus out of the synagogue. They ran him out of town to the brow of a hill, to the edge of a hill, to push him off and to kill him. They were that angry because their needs weren't bowed down to let me just say this you will be outcasted for living on mission you will be outcasted for living on mission you will put yourselves in uncomfortable situations because you know the right thing to do and most of the time your friends or the group around you they're not going to be doing that thing so you are going to be outcasted for living on mission you're going to be outcasted when you invite uh, the kid to sit with uh, the kid that sits by themselves to sit with you at the lunch table, and it might be awkward for your other friends, so they're going to say, "Hey, stop doing that." When you start inviting that kid that annoys everybody, you invite them to come hang out with you, to be a part of your group, to be a part of your group text. People are going to be like, "What are you doing? We're going to stop inviting Dylan to the group because he keeps t- 
texting and bringing these people to hang out with us that we don't want to hang out with. You're going to be outcasted when you begin to look a little bit different in your friend group. You stop cussing around your friend group. You stop going to the parties and getting drunk. You stop messing around with your boyfriend and girlfriend like you know you're not supposed to. You get outcasted because of those things because that's what the culture breeds. That's what they want you to do. When your social media begins to look like you actually have a relationship with Jesus. When you begin to share what God is doing in your life, people are going to unfollow you. They're going to outcast you. Jesus' mission was counter-cultural. He didn't care that people got angry and brought him to the brow of the hill because he knew the mission that he was on. Your life is meant to look countercultural because that is what Jesus' life looked like. So in closing, we looked at the, the three different things about Jesus' mission. Right? We looked at those three things. That his mission was revealed in his word, it's restoration focused, and it's really countercultural. So what I want you to do, I want to be practical, I want to be straightforward with you guys, so I want to give you three things of what your mission looks like. Because the beauty, beautiful thing about the Bible is that when we read it, it tells us about Jesus. It tells about uh, what we can learn about Him, His characteristics, what His mission was, right? The Bible isn't about you. It's about Jesus. So what can we learn from Jesus that is in our mission? So the first thing is this. Your mission is revealed in God's Word. Your mission is revealed. Just like Jesus' mission, obviously ours is not Isaiah 61. We're not bringing any salvation. But our mission is to tell other people about the one that does bring salvation. Matthew 28, to go out and make disciples. 1 Peter, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into light. That we would tell people that we were once destined for hell, but because of Jesus, now we are in the we can spend eternity with Him in heaven. That He's with you every single day. He gives you strength. He gives you wisdom. So what are some helpful tips with your, uh, your mission being revealed in God's Word? Tip number one. Stop going through the motions. Stop going through the motions. Recognize the time that you are in. That you are a middle schooler or a high schooler. Think about the influence you have on social media and your friend group and at school. Listen closely. This life is not about you. But our culture tells us in your teen years, live it up. Give into whatever pleasures you want. Live for you. Focus on you. Whatever feels good, do it. That's a lie. That is not what Jesus calls us to in his word. Our life is about the mission of Jesus of proclaiming the gospel with our words and with our actions. It's not about, it's not about satisfying every need for us, but it's telling about the, the person that can satisfy the needs of others. We are called to be consumed with our mission over our sports teams, over our school, over our social media, over our activities. Another tip in that is because we know our mission, Utilize your friendships. Begin to talk about your relationship with Jesus with your friends. Talk with, if you have friends that are believers, the ones that are sitting you next, next to you in this room, tell them, how can we be on mission at our school together? How can we 
surround this person? How can we reach this marginalized person in our class, in our school, on our team, in our church? How can we love on them? Utilize those friendships. Utilize your social media. Use your Insta stories. Share your testimony. Post a quiet time, your hear journal. Post those things so that others may see that you have an active and grown relationship with the Lord that might bring about conversations. Utilize school opportunities, whether it be a Bible club or FCA or whatever club that you have the opportunity to be a part of and have at your school. Start a Bible study at your school. Start praying for the lost in your school and read God's Word because we see our mission in that. The second aspect of your mission is that your mission is to reach the marginalized. So what's some helpful tips with that? Stop staying in cliques because it's comfortable. Jesus didn't call you to be comfortable. He called you to be countercultural. Stop looking at your middle school and your high school years as if they are for you. God wants to use you in great ways during this time. Right? We, we've heard it all the time. The people that have made great movements in the Bible, they are teenagers. God desires, you, de- desires to use you in great ways. Another tip, be on the lookout for marginalized people in your groups. Look out for the marginalized people in your connect group on Wednesday nights, in your discipleship group, at your school, on your team. Who are the marginalized people that you can love and care on, share the gospel with? Be focused on mission. Reach out to them, befriend them, sit by them, build relationships with them, and ultimately share the gospel with them. And the third and final aspect of your mission is that your mission will be countercultural. Be ready to experience the awkwardness of when you stand up for what's right. And another thing, be sure you know why you are standing up for the right thing because once you get a little pushback, it's so easy to just go back to the way that's normal. Go back to the way that the culture and your friends want you to do. Know what you are standing up for. Analyze yourself. Is your life comfortable? Or is it countercultural? Does your life look more like the culture? Or does it look like more like the mission that Jesus is calling to in His Word? Stay in God's Word. And pray for opportunity to share them. Samson had a mighty task and a mission. Jesus also had a mighty task and a mission. So we see even at the beginning of Samson's life, the angel of the Lord came to the mom saying, your, your son is going to deliver Israel from the oppressed. We see in the beginning of the Gospels, we see that an angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, your son will be the salvation for all of Israel. One stuck to the mission, one did not. You have been given a mighty task and mission right now to proclaim the gospel with your words and your actions. So my question to you, are you going to commit to it? Are you going to stay on mission? Are you going to go on mission? Or are you going to get distracted with this world and what culture is offering you? Let's pray. God, we thank you We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for how it instructs us, how it encourages us, but Lord, also how it convicts us. It it pushes us where we are not being faithful. 
God, I pray that this would be encouragement tonight, that we are not doing this in our own strength, but we see even Jesus was led by the Spirit. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, leading us to go live a life on mission to, on mission to proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that this would be a reality, reality to them, that their life is to be a mission. Their life isn't about them. It's not about me. It's not about anything that I want, but all about your mission. Lord, I pray that you would give these students opportunities because they are there, that they would see them. They, they would open their eyes to what you are trying to do in their life. And Lord, I pray that they would jump on board with it. That they would be countercultural for the sake of the gospel. That they would be looking to the marginalized in society to restore folks that they can't restore, but they can point to the one that can restore them. And God, I pray that they would stay cemented in your word. Because without that foundation, we will be tossed by the winds and waves of culture. But God, I pray that we, they would commit to your word. And Lord, that you would transform them from the inside out. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in that sanctification process. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen.